it's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast. I am your host, John. This week's guest is Chris Bishop from the band Crowbot, also tattooing out of Dovetail Tattoo out in Austin, Texas. This interview was done about a year, year and a half ago at this point. Uh, the band was currently on tour with Seven Dust and the band Wilson. They were staying here at my house and we recorded this episode for a different podcast I was doing at the time. However, I just never put it out due to the fact that, and you'll hear very clearly, uh, Chris and I had been drinking for quite a while. I think by the time we actually sat down and re started recording, it was around 2.33 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I had been awake since, or I had been drinking since probably about 5.36-ish. So at that point, the Crowbot dudes kind of rolled in. Uh, we did some eating and drinking, and then Chris uh, tattooed my wife, which you'll hear about in this, I think, a couple of times. And I ended up uh, drinking with Chris after that was done, then decided to roll the, can roll the uh, microphones. And this was about initially a two-hour chat, roughly, which we drank during the whole thing. And we ended up uh, <laughs> talking about a lot of cool shit. I've been hesitant to release this audio for the sheer fact of how drunk I am. And it's, I think it's, to me, it's pretty noticeable. Uh, I'm going to edit out some shit, so if it sounds a little choppy, that's, that's why. I think I'm a little belligerent at times with some of the things I'm saying. And it's nothing bad, it's not like I'm saying anything horrible, but... I just think sometimes, like you, people, like we can and tend to do sometimes when we've been drinking quite a bit, you just repeat things over and over and over again. So there's a couple of things that uh, in the chat that I'm going to edit down to one time so you don't have to hear me bring it up another time. Uh, with that being said, though, I think there's some really cool shit in this chat. And really, I think this is the, the birth of this podcast being what it turned into. I've always wanted to do a podcast where I talk to people in bands or really just people that inspired me because they follow their passions to, to varying levels of success. And success can be whatever it is per that person. It can be being in a touring band, being signed, being, you know, really well known and recognized. It could just be something as simple as, you know, I want to learn how to, to draw a portrait. This past weekend, I rescreened most of the screen doors in my house. That's something I've never known how to do. But a quick YouTube video helped me fix something that I've been wanting to have done to my house for a while. It took a little bit of time, but, you know, I've kind of become the handyman over the last few years thanks to a lot of YouTube videos and just having the desire to want to be more adept at other things. In this chat, you'll also hear me talk about a TED Talk about multi-potentialites. I kind of pretty much explained what it's about in the thing, but it's still interesting to look back on this conversation so far removed from when it happened in a, in a more sober mindset, that basically I still have a lot of hobbies that I'm passionate about and I want to pursue. And talking to people that I've now had the pleasure of speaking to over the last six months or so of doing this podcast, it really kind of starts here, where I talk to Chris about him being a tattoo artist as well as being a successful musician successful in my eyes and it's one of those things where i think he has a lot of great stories to tell from life on the road and about kind of you know following his his the pursuit of his passions both of them at the same time 
And I think it kind of speaks to the TED talk of the multi-potentialite where instead of being told or being good at one thing, he focused his efforts on a few things and became really good at all of them. Granted, sometimes he has to sacrifice the effort he's putting into one to pursue the other one. But the whole point of the TED talk and the multi-potentialite thing was that, you know, growing up, we're always told, like, pick one thing you want to be when you grow up as opposed to being a few things, a jack of all trades, as it were. And I think that with that TED Talk that my, my, my wife made me see, it kind of taught me that, you know, we're growing up in a time where people can excel at a lot of things and, and it doesn't have to just be focused on one specific thing. However, sometimes people aren't necessarily great at any of those things, so, but it is what it is. But this is a great chat, and I think outside of my own drunkenness and, and a little bit of Chris's as well, I think that there's a lot of good stuff in this conversation and i think to just sit on it for as long as i have and not let it out i think it's kind of a disservice because maybe someone will hear something in this that'll push them to want to to pursue playing guitar or want them or make them pursue something that they've been wanting to and then hearing someone who's doing it on a a pretty big scale in a few different platforms like might encourage and inspire them and at the end of the day that's really what this podcast is kind of about is just listening and talking to people who do really cool shit maybe in spite of others telling them that they can't i'm an testament, man like i grew up in a small town where a lot of people tell you the things that you can and won't ever do because they don't fucking do them and you know what this podcast is a living example of me just sitting like granted i'm sitting in my own fucking office doing this talking to literally nobody but it's a trip when i look at my stats and i see that there are thousands of people who have taken the time to listen to me ramble granted i know it's me and the guest and the guest is the selling point but they're still listening to something that i put forth and and made basically and it's wild to to know that people take the time to do that so the podcast i listen to between like the nerdist and kevin smith's uh smodcast they always say like make your thing whatever the thing is make it but you know they just always are so encouraging and i think this is a really great thing that other people should try to do, whether it's just having conversations with people, you'll be amazed at how much better of a conversationalist you end up becoming, as well as a listener. But I think it's one of those, I think it's one of those things for me that this podcast has really taught me to kind of go out and do my thing and find, have interesting conversations with people. And granted, I, I put them up on the internet, which is not necessarily what everyone does with their their conversations, but this is no different and this really was the catalyst of me starting this podcast over a year ago so i've been sitting on it for a while and i figure this is as good a time as any to to release this so i also want to take a moment to give shout outs to some podcasts i listen to that i feel are about at the same level i am whether it be the time spent doing the podcast or just whatever i think they're kind of like unsung podcasts going out right now and i think and they're a little bit varied sort of in the same vein as is this a little bit but there's the home before dark podcast uh based out of atlanta talking a lot about uh how atlanta's growing and and kind of the housing market and a lot of interesting stuff to kind of i guess a more local home base for what they're doing but as someone who lives near detroit and hearing some of the similarities between the town and the city that i live in or cities that i visit and having recently visited atlanta I kind of take a little more away from it and it looks like i might be on their podcast in the next few weeks uh, assuming tim still would like to have me on um, but it's a great podcast and i highly recommend it um it's kind of all over the place between video games and 
sports a little bit and stuff like that. So I think it's a good podcast and I highly recommend it. Uh, also, the Talk To Me podcast, they don't really need my help in plugging anything, uh, but they continue to do great shit and Joshua has really helped me in the early goings of doing this podcast and has given me some like kind of extra work between doing some reviews and such. Um, so if you want to head over to the Talk To Me podcast, uh, there's a lot of great interviews. I think they're over about 120 episodes in right now. And Josh is actually even going through and kind of reformatting the the format of the podcast. That was redundant. Uh, but it's it's still really good. And if you like what's going on over here, then you're more than likely going to like his podcast. Uh, there's also the... Um, excuse me there's the spike pile driver podcast it's a professional wrestling podcast done by uh paul and matt uh two people here from the grand rapids area as well it's strictly a wrestling based podcast uh if you're like me and don't always have the ability to keep up with all things wrestling it's a great way to keep up with all things wrestling through the eyes of people who make it fun and aren't so technical about it that you just kind of get lost and I really appreciate like what they're doing for the fans of wrestling and so forth, and I think it's a great podcast, and it's one that I highly recommend to a lot of people. And even if you're not necessarily into wrestling, if you're just kind of a fringe watcher, it's a great way to get back into it if it's something that you've been wanting to get back into. Uh, another great podcast that I've been listening to lately has been the uh, Pure Pleasure podcast. It's on the Jabberjaw Media Network. It's uh, this dude, Dewey Helpus. He basically talks to a bunch of musicians, but a thing that I en- I enjoy about his podcast is that it comes from a slightly different vantage point on some of the things that they discuss, uh, which is something I try to do with this podcast. So I think if you are a fan of music podcasts, but like to hear interviews that aren't the same tired and cliche interviews you hear with some of these band people over and over and over again, it's a great podcast for that. Pure Pleasure Podcast, P-E-E-R, Pleasure Podcast. Uh, last one is going to be the uh, Mixon podcast. It's uh, Matthew Mixon, who I had on this podcast uh, a handful of months ago for the Yesterday Was Everything movie about doc- about Misery Signals, the documentary. And he recently has been parlaying that into... Initially, it was about kind of talking about the, the movie and kind of giving some extra press. So in one episode, he talks to uh, Ryan Morgan, the guitar player from Misery Signals, and kind of gives you more of a behind-the-scenes on the, the documentary and all that. And the second one was with Brandon Best, uh, also talking about the movie. But as of uh, earlier this this month, he started segueing into what I think the podcast is going to be more about, which is films and MMA and kind of those things. So... Again, if you're into music or just pop pop culture kind of stuff in general, go check out his podcast. It's uh, something I listen to, and even though there's only three episodes, and hopefully there will be more, uh, Mixon is very well versed in movies and stuff like that, so I think even if you're just a casual movie fan, it'll be a really good thing just to kind of get a different perspective on, again, more pop culture things. And uh, so, yeah. So without further ado, I'm not going to have this be another 20-minute long or 25-minute long intro by me. So I'm going to keep this one kind of short and get to my chat with uh, Chris Bishop of Crowbot. things like like i said and applicable to life you can talk shit all you fucking want and if you're not willing to reciprocate the shit talking that gets done back to you right don't fucking talk it that's the bottom line man so 
it was one of those things like it, it stopped me in the last couple of weeks uh, to eat some humble pie and just yeah. fucking deal with my shit and hey, not give it back. That's the best way to be, man. Humble. So, uh, it looks, <laughs> looks like we're recording. Cool. Um, I'm going to try to put this to where it picks up on your, your low talking. <laughs> I will speak very loudly. <laughs> it's pretty low, <laughs> I think, but whatever. That's about as, as much as you were talking previously. <laughs> All right, is this better? Is yeah, this fine. good? It's fine. Okay. Do you need me to move the table closer? Cha 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 cha. No, I'm good. I think this is fine. Okay. So, I can also just jack this gain up right here too. I mean, you could do that too. Just a little. Hey. Yeah. There you go. Whatever. Fuck it. It's a podcast. People can crank up their own shit. However. Yeah. Or turn the fuck off if they don't like it. <laughs> uh, so. Um, this was a podcast that was originally going to be for the Two Drunk Dicks podcast, but I think it's now going to be my untitled uh, music podcast, because fuck it, it's my thing, it's all my shit, so fuck it. <laughs> is that, is this like your thing? Like, that's specifically the... Uh, the Two Drunk Dicks thing is, uh, it's me and two friends. Uh, the one dude came over and brought over whiskey. And I'm and, drinking uh, it. Yeah, there you go. And <laughs> I'm paying for half of it, though. <laughs> And uh, the other dude, uh, he brought over the PBR that everyone else drank. So, I mean, indirectly, like, the PBR, oh, the, the uh, podcast beer and whiskey has been drank. And I'm the dick. Uh, I mean, there's two of us, so I guess it still fits. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm John, and I'm sitting here with uh, Chris Bishop from uh, Crobot. Yep. Also a uh, U.S. renowned known tattoo artist. Yep. Uh, out of where? Uh, I work at a shop um, in Potts, well, St. Clair, Pennsylvania right now, um, called Skin Art. Okay. And, um, Skin. It's scared. Leonard Skinner. <laughs> Leonard Skin Art. Are these open? What was that? Yeah, eat them. Fucking eat those cheese balls. I'm gonna eat these cheese balls. <laughs> Bridget bought them and I was like, when you finish eating them, those are all, you, you ate them all. But I'm gonna be moving to, uh, to Austin, Texas, at the end of the year, I'm going to be working at Dovetail Tattoo, which is, I'm pretty honored to be working there. Uh, lots of great artists. And, you know, is it a, is great. it a bigger shop? Is it going to be like no. four artists no. kind of a deal? I mean, like, is it like a, a local local well, but well renowned yeah. shop? It's a smaller shop. Uh, Wendy Ramirez owns it, and she's a great tattoo artist, but she has a lot of um really like. Uh, Really good um, realism artists there, and uh, me and our girlfriend are going to be working there, and we'll be like the only traditional artist. So it'll be cool. It'll be it'll be nice. Is that a lot of pressure on you to be the only people who are are skilled in not in one realm of everything, but technically in the one realm of everything? I think it's um, it's more exciting than anything because it's like we will just be. You know, showered in all the work we want to do because no one else will want to do it. You know what I mean? Like being the only traditional dudes, just, it'll be cool just going down there and be just nothing but traditional shit. I feel like this is a catch twenty too, because yeah. it's like if you're gonna be good, but then I feel like if the, the well dries up and people are like, I want to. I mean, traditional has been traditional. part of the part in the pun. Traditional, <laughs> it, it has its name for a fucking reason, but. Uh, it's really weird because I mean it's like you you come from the East Coast, which is where I'm from initially, but like I never got tattooed while I was on the East Coast. But I, I noticed that uh, 
it, it's kind of a weird thing with tattoo artists that I feel like certain geographical areas are definitely uh, based within their their styles. Like I would say out here is more like you kind of get like some some realism and tradition, like a lot of neo traditional yeah. type stuff. Uh, or even as it's called, like new school. I was gonna Tuesday, say new, new school. school. I feel yep. like a yep. lot of new school stuff from here. Uh, new school comes out of a, out of here. Neo traditional, uh, even some portrait work. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff, but I would say neo traditional and uh, new school style it's, stuff. It's hard to say because things are changing now. You know, there, you've got these new styles that are coming up now. You've got like a lot of watercolor style stuff. Yes, you know? that, like weird Prismacolor shit yeah. that people are doing. We got like that kind of shit, and you've got, you know, pen and ink um, looking like um, pointillism style, just black work, which is which is getting huge, and I love that shit as well. But you know, there's all new categories that in, that are being spawned up out of nowhere, which I think is cool, man. You know, I, and I, I, other than watercolor stuff, I'm not into that I've done a few watercolor tattoos and every time I'm just fucking sweating bullets <laughs> like god damn it why did I agree to do this you know um so something I would I've wanted to talk to different tattoo artists and I'm this is totally the thing I'm living up to more of the, the two drunk dicks podcast where I've been drinking before heavily before and during <laughs> uh this podcast um but something I want to talk to you about is just something I want to talk to a few other friends who are in the same boat as you. You are a tattoo artist and a professional musician. Like, you also make your... I would say you make more of your living based on being a professional musician at this point. Yeah. Is that, is that fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, something that I, I feel like I've noticed through having friends who... Uh, kind of straddle the line of a professional musician to tattoo artist is there's a lot of similarities between especially if I mean I think you're about a year old younger than me I think you're 31 30 30 okay uh -huh. I'm ready to turn 32 in the next like seven days uh, awesome. um, so it's one of those things where I've noticed that in the last five to seven to ten years we'll say five to ten years uh, the tattooing industry to the music industry, there's a lot of parallels um, that I think are very common between the two, but they're also unique unto themselves and, and kind of vary. Um, so I'd love to talk to you about that, where growing your brand as a tattoo artist, up and coming, as well as being an up and coming band, how social media directly correlates to growing both of your brands um, or even being a hindrance or a help to both of your brands yeah. in the tattoo industry and the music industry. So let's start with, what did you start with? I mean, I would assume you started playing guitar and then like art was like the secondary focus. Yeah, I mean, I always, I always um, loved more than anything. You know, number one was just like create, creating things. You know, like I just loved, like it's such a horrible thing to say, but like, the self-fulfillment of making something and feeling really good about it, whether it be art or music or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I started playing guitar when I was like eight. You know, I was like doodling things when I was around the same age. But I got really good at guitar when I was really young. And, like, I used to go to guitar centers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, guitar center wasn't a thing yet. 
Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, we would go, and I would sit around and, like, play, like, fucking solos, and all these old dudes would, like, sit around and watch me, and I was, like, a 10-year-old kid. Then I, like, leveled off, you know? I started playing baseball, being, like, a southern kid from Tennessee, just playing baseball and doing all that shit, not playing guitar, you know? And then I'd say I didn't get any better until I was, like, 20 years old and really started, like, taking it seriously again. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to tattoo for the longest time, and... I finally got an apprenticeship in, uh, you know, up in Pennsylvania when I moved up there for a band, and um, they uh, they definitely worked hand in hand just because, uh, you know, being a musician, especially in the beginning, you have to learn to, you know, make your own schedule, and be able to survive and make money, and like. Most jobs aren't going to let you just take off for tour. <clears throat> so it's one of those things where, you know, making art and tattooing allowed me to be a musician, you know? What do you feel like you took more seriously at the time? Do you feel like you were putting more effort into the Definitely, tattooing or no, more into the music? Definitely the music. I mean, that, was your, that was your first passion? That was my first thing, yeah, because when I was, uh, I was in college, I moved away. I had an opportunity... To move up to uh, Pennsylvania for a different band, and I took it and I quit school and I did that and I was trying to get an apprenticeship at this shop that I was um, always getting tattooed at in Tennessee, and he was like, "We'll only we'll only take you if you start going to art school." So I was like, "Fuck it, I'll go to art school." So I was in art school doing that, and then I got the offer for the band, and I was like. Fuck this shit. Um, you know, this is like a once in a lifetime thing. I'm gonna right. go. I'm gonna go tour. So, you know, when I, when I moved away to go tour, I started looking for shops in the area, and I finally found somewhere that would, would take me on as an apprentice. And I started and go around your music schedule. Yeah, and they went around my music schedule from there. And then once I started tattooing, I could book tattoos and stuff like that whenever I didn't have shows or whenever I didn't have practice. I'm like a you know, a real job. How hard was it to figure out what the main quote-unquote passion was? Because, like, at that point, it sounds like you wanted to tattoo and you wanted to pursue music, right. but it seems like they were kind of coinciding, like, beelining, like, one for the other, like, well, I could tattoo and be like pursue that, or I could pursue this music thing and keep touring and try to build my name, like, in a band this way. How hard is it to try to figure out what the balance is early on when you're like just making your name in either field? Yeah, and both both fields take take a lot of of time, you know, and a lot of dedication. You know, you can't half ass anything. But for me, it's like I have a lot. I had a lot of extra spare time. You know, <laughs> the, the band doesn't fucking practice right. all day every day. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's like. I'm a I'm the type of person who I, you know I don't really like to just sit on my ass like when I do I, I get anxiety you know I like to feel like I'm at least working towards something right so especially in the beginning when the, the fire was really really strong like dude I would fucking work so hard you know I would be constantly working at everything whether it be writing new songs you know right you know working in harmonies with Brandon you know drawing up tons and tons of sheets of flash or just tr tracing script lettering right. you know what I mean just to get my hands where they needed to be 
but I did all those things. And, like, you know, you, you never really think, like, being a musician, you never really think that there's going to be, like, an end game. You always, like, hope for the, you, you hope for, like, the, the record, deal, record deal. But then that's, that's, I feel like, and sorry to cut you off, I feel like it's the same thing within the tattoo industry where when you reach a certain level that you want to get to, that's where the real work begins. Right. Same with like once you get your record deal, that's where the real real work begins. That's where the real hustle begins right. because it's like they're like, okay, you're good enough for us to 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 put our name behind you, right. but you gotta show us what you're all about, and you gotta fucking put the legwork right. in. And I feel like if you got to the point where your set your band is at the level where a, a label is like willing to invest money into you, or somebody is willing to invest money into you. The flip side of that is like, well, will my art suffer or do I put the equal time and effort right. into getting that to where I'm constantly at a, a parallel area with between my band and my art so I can it's do both. It's really tough. You know, it, it is tough because you don't want to spread yourself too thin. You know what I mean? Like, and you, you don't want to be like a jack of all trades and master and, none yeah you know what I mean? like, and that's the constant i have that constant fear you know in me all the time because i know that's like it's hard enough to do one of these things very well but um well as i say you even like you have a band that some would say have made it and you just played me demos of something else you want to do yeah like just because it, it, it fulfills your creative juices to to right. do something else and I always think that's interesting where some would say you're you're overreaching because like you have your your creative between the tattooing industry, you have right. your creative in the musical industry, and then you're now overreaching in the sense that you want to create more things in another medium. It's like that you know, for me that took a, a week of my time. You know what I mean? It, it was a literally a week of my time, that's what it took. And uh, it was fun, you know. And it was like one of those things where, you know, I know it's not gonna, it's not gonna take a priority. I'm but you don't know that. I'm, to yeah. be fair, yes, you don't true. know. You don't know. But it, it's it's interesting to see what will happen because who knows, who knows what will happen in the future. You know, a lot of a lot of things could happen. A lot of things could, you know. It's very interesting. Like in the last. I would say three months. Like we went out to uh, Portland, Oregon to go meet a, a old roommate of mine who lives out there now. On the flight, we had TED talks available to us, my wife and I, and she was watching one on multi potentialites. Is basically the, the gist of what it, it was called. So the gist that I took away initially was that like the lady who was given the TED talk was very much uh, discussing. Um, being interested in something, but then giving it up after so long because you're interested in something else in equal regard as much as you did the first thing. I know. So, so initially I was that. like, oh, so you're telling me like I start and abandon a lot of projects. But the, the, the real takeaway from it that my wife was trying to get me to, to see was that uh, in the TED Talk, this, this person was saying how when this person grew up, and you and I are around the same age, so you will, should probably agree with this uh, based on just the time frame we grew up in. How you grew up learning that you can have a dream, whatever it is, and you reach for it. Like, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to be, you know, 
a saxophonist or you could be a multitude of whatever the fuck you want to be. But the thing is, you were that one thing. Now, the multi-potentialite goes, I don't want to be that one thing. I want to be nine different things. And I want to learn how to do all those things. And I want to be like equally good at all of them. Not a master at any of them, but I want to be equally good at all of them. And the thing that my wife taught me with that, that TED Talk that I didn't really see initially was that it's like, like I wanted to, I, I mean, I had a lot of management experience in retail and, and food industry. I have that experience. I can be a manager in those realms. I wanted to start writing about music. I fucking did. I wanted to book shows. I fucking did. I wanted to do things in the music industry, but like I have a world where it's like I can do four to five different things within certain jobs and then carrying over into others, and they all apply to each other. They're all applicable, but they're not necessarily separate to, onto it themselves. Like They don't need each other to exist. And it's one of those things where the more I surround myself with people like yourself, like who tattoo, who are in a band and get that creative outlet out and do a lot of creative things for themselves, I tend to find that like it makes me want to be more creative myself and not naysay and put on the back burner like creative thoughts I have because someone might go, well, you can't do that because you're in this certain box. No. And to me, it's like you are a prime example of someone who is at a high level, who is getting to the high level, and it's, it's not anything. It's getting to the high level where it's like you're in a sign band, you're, get, you're, you're reaching that next plateau of going from the sign band who people are just becoming aware of to now going like, this is a band I've seen, and they're that next band, that next tier of band I want to I see because they provide me... X, Y, and Z of other bands that I'm familiar with, but then on the same token, you're at that. I feel like you parallel your tattoo, your tattoo career with your music career because, like, it seems like they both evolve at the same level. And I don't know how much one has to do with the other. Yeah. I, through talking with you earlier, I feel like they are both directly related. Yeah, I, th I feel like that. You know, I, I've grown. Uh, you know, equally. Can we send that? Just maybe a little bit. Just splash of that uh, Evan Williams there, sir. Sorry if you hear this. Uh, we bought a uh, half gallon of, of whiskey and we've been <laughs> drinking beforehand. There you go. And uh, you. we will be drinking during, before, and after. <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, all these years I've been working you know, at both of these things, so they both progress and get better and better with time. But... Um, you know, I don't know. They, they both directly correlate because as the band gets bigger, you know, I'm in more demand for tattooing, whether it be, you know, fans want tattoos of, you know, just because they like my guitar playing, which is awesome, you know? And I'm not stupid. I knew this from the beginning. You know, this is part of the, the, the whole grand scheme of being able to live as a musician because you don't make much money. You know Do you I mean? feel like you're spreading yourself too thin at any point, though? Um, either way. No, either way between the music creative the, the or The only reason I say no is because at, in, as a musician, you know, and at, or as an artist, you always fight burnout. You will, No matter what you do, you will always fight burnout, right? So when that burnout starts to come, you can completely shut down and shift your gears to another creative outlet 
that makes you that gives you the same self fulfillment, but you know it, it 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 sort of like stops the burnout in in the other in the other uh, outlet. And for me, that that has worked so so well because as soon as I'm off tour, I've got clients that are ready to get tattooed. That so I can engulf myself in that. I can still listen to music and jam out to shit that I love, but I can take a a, qui a you know a quick week or two break to recharge batteries so the burnout isn't there. You know, because I can't tell you how many tattoo artists I've talked to that have reached that level that love it. You know, they're huge tattoo artists. Fucking burn out as shit, you know? Fucking have no love for what they're doing anymore, but they make shitloads of money doing it. You know? And it's like same with musicians. I can't tell you how many jaded burnout musicians I've met, you know? And I don't want to end up like either of those. Do you find that when you get off tour, your passion then shifts to the, the tattooing and designing and stuff like that? Or is it more of like, I need a week to just decompress from all of it? No, I never decompress. I never, I never decompress from everything. No? I, 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 maybe a day if I need like the rest. Okay. But as soon as I'm rested after like, you know, not sleeping or whatever from a drive... Straight to the tattoo shop, and I'm straight working there because, I mean, first of all, I know I, you know, I know I have to make money to live, you know, more so than what the band gives me, you know, when I'm not touring. Right. So, but all that stupid shit aside, I love, I love giving people tattoos. I love tattooing my clients, and you know, I, it's it's a very fortunate thing that I, I am able to do that. This dog is one of Cheetos. Man. Yeah, she wants the Cheetos. <laughs> Allie, lay down. And for those of you unaware, I have a black lab that just wants the Cheetos that are open to Chris and I right now. Speaking of uh, not being burnt out. <laughs> um, so, kind of piggybacking off of like the, the similarities between being in a, well, for all intents and purposes, a, a successful successful. Uh, band uh, and making yourself a successful tattoo artist uh, you guys have reached the level to a degree uh, what is often known as a sophomore slump mm -hmm. you're about to release your second record on a major label which is the sophomore release uh, a lot of people call it the sophomore slump because usually when you make a name for yourself you, you don't reach more often than not, you don't reach the plat the level that you reach with your, your first record. But I will say, being a more under-the-radar band who's who's really hitting a, a stride, really, after the fact of putting out your first record, how do you think this new record will be received, and how do you feel like it will uh, take you to that next level? I mean, I think, you know, I think the sec this second record is, is, is tougher and meaner and like, you know, better than the first record. You know, do you think I mean? it's more indicative of who you are as a band and the individuals yeah, in well, it? I mean, I think it is. It's the definite. Um, it's who we are at this moment. At, you know, at the same time, the first album was who we are. And who yeah. you were then? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. So, you know, we we've grown and we've like we've had different influences come in, and we've all like you know, really dug on certain things that have pushed us to sound the way we sound now. Um, 
I don't think, you know, every, I mean, we get, we get like a lot of people talking about the sophomore slump a lot, you know? Really? Is that? Yeah. Like, I, mean, I say it, like, and it's something I consistently read about in magazines. Well, it, it's true, you know, because it, they always say you have a lifetime, right? Lifetime, right? Blah, blah, blah. And all the expectations, right? Right. Record. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, it's like, you, you always, you're always like second guessing and, you know, everything you do anyway. Even on the first record. I mean, we fucking... We we sat and wrote a bunch of new songs after... Oh, <laughs> the, Sorry, Allie was putting her face right up to the microphone. The, the, first, the, first, the first record, you know, we wrote 50 songs. Then we got in the studio and we wrote 15 more. Whatever the fuck it was. So 65 songs. No, I, mean, I would say all in all, there's probably like 50 that we did, right? That seems like it you is. know, like whenever a band was like, I wrote fifty, we wrote fifty songs. That seems like so fucking many because, like, as someone who wrote songs with my roommate and like the band he was in, we could maybe like plugging along, put out like two songs, maybe yeah. a month, like start to finish. Here's yeah. the here's the initial idea. Here's the structure of it. Like, here's how we think it goes, and the fact that. I read about bands who are like, we had 30, 40, 50 songs going into the next for, record. For the first song. Full fleshed yeah. out for the, songs. For, the, like for the first album, for the first album, full songs made 50 songs. So what and do you do with say, the shit that doesn't fucking make the cut? They're gone, man. They're gone? Like you just fucking forget about them? Yep. That, no. That, see, that's the part that like doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, you fucking fleshed out those ideas... They're gone, dude. No, so like even a chorus riff from like one of them doesn't nah, yeah, bring it. Yeah, maybe. Okay, maybe, maybe a riff, maybe maybe a melody, but you know the thing is, is that like, just seems like so much wasted time. Yeah, it, it is, it is. But you know, that's the thing. What I was saying was like, we wrote all those songs, and then I would say probably, you know. When they say like your whole life to write these songs, all right. Well, the last ten songs we wrote were probably the songs that made the record. You know what I mean? Were those the one? Like, how much of that first record had you been playing and and building as far as like being like, okay, these songs work. Like, how many? How much of that first record like was like two or three songs? Really? Okay. Yeah. See so a lot. Like, okay. So a band you're on tour with Wilson. Uh, those dudes, they did an EP, and then they recorded two or three songs off that EP for their first full length, but it's like, those were the tired and true songs that they knew fucking worked, they got crowd reactions, they knew people liked those songs. And I feel like if you're telling me you wrote 50 songs, I feel like you gotta have played parts or half of a song or whatever and you knew this half worked and maybe the other half didn't work but then you married it with another part and then it made a song because you, yeah. you played those parts or those yeah. songs uh, out or maybe the, maybe those parts of or whatever that was re recreated had little bits and pieces of those other songs but to us they were fresh you know what I mean like yeah it's just one of those things where you are always excited about the newest thing that you write. Because it is an, as an example of who you are at that time. It's well, a snapshot. It is. It's yeah. a snapshot. But you're all, you always think the, 
what you write the newest is, is the, best. the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you always yep. think that, right? Yeah, and you know whether it's true or not, but you know, for our first album, I felt like you know, I think we had maybe three songs or something that really? were, that were like Legend of the Spaceborn Killer. Um, I don't know, Fly on the Wall, maybe. You haven't mentioned the one that I definitely thought you would mention. Why? Uh, oh, fuck, you put me on the spot. And yeah. I'm Because it's, like, it's a Spanish title. So like, Chupacabra? I'm like, no, not Chupacabra. Lamana uh, de Lucifer. Yes. Yeah. To me, that's like a song, like if I, if, if, having listened to your first record, that would be like the one to me, like if that was the, like, Let's say you had like the three songs you're talking about, and that was the third. Yeah. To that, me, that would be the turning point where you're like, "This is our song. sound." This well, is... that was an old, that was like not an old song, but that was like a somewhat older song going into it. So that was one of the ones that with we, anyone different or all the original the people who are involved. Um, now? I th- yeah, I think. Was there ever yeah, an yeah, incarnation no, that, of the band that didn't exist before yeah. it, how it is now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We had a different drummer, a different bass player for the So a different family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that song was one of the first songs written with Jake and Paul. Okay. So it was like an older song. And the fact that it's very groove-oriented right. really lends to say that like, if you got a new rhythm section, like they're going to really change the, the dynamics of that song. Totally. But, you know, Jake and Paul played in a similar style band and their brothers. So, yep. like, getting, like, just jamming with them was really easy. It, it came it came together really quick. But um, but after that, you know, you got to think, we just switched from two different dudes in the band. So all these other songs we had, we didn't really want to commit. We didn't want to like, you know. We wanted to create new stuff and have new shit. And... You know, that's why we we went with a lot of the newer stuff that we wrote for the first album. Does any of that older shit exist somewhere, like released? You can you can find it like like locally, like like out yeah, where you guys you came from. Like, like you can torrent it, or you can like <laughs> what's a torrent? <laughs> yeah, or you can like you. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but but there's some. Oh, <laughs> you can find it if you really give a shit to want to find it. You know what I mean? It's out there. And some of those songs I still think are phenomenal. The, you know, Homeward Bound is one of my favorite songs. And it's a sludgy tune that, you know, got lost. So, since I've been following you, you guys have really hit another stride as far as like the level that the band has, has gotten to. Uh, something I really wanted to know, uh, and if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. But something I wanted to know was, you guys did one of the last Motorhead tours. Mm-hmm. And any band I've ever heard that has toured Motorhead has phenomenal stories about how, how great and warm and receptive Lemmy and all those dudes are in the road crew and everything like that. But you guys did, correct me if I'm wrong, like the last Motorhead tour. The last North American tour. North American tour. Yeah, they did one more tour in Europe. I don't even think it was a full tour. I don't think it was either. I think it got canceled after like two or three dates, yeah. if I remember correctly. What's it like fucking touring with Motorhead? Um, you know, it when we when we started the tour, Lemmy Lemmy was sick. Yeah. You know, he was like. You guys had sorry to cut you off. You guys had like two or three dates at least canceled. Yeah, like the first two days, I remember, because I've never seen Motorhead, I remember we, we saw the first 
show, and I was like, the guys were like, oh, it was awesome. I was like, something was off. I was like, it the spirit? Seem, well, not even the spirit. I was like, it seemed like Lindy was like a, a half second behind everyone, you know? Oh, really? So, like, yeah. the vocals and, like, him playing yeah, or just playing. the vocals? Like, you could tell he was just, he was, he was struggling a little bit, you yeah. know? The next night, it got a little better. I was like, oh, that's cool. Then the third night, he had to walk off stage. That know? was the show in Colorado? Uh, no, or somewhere I, out I in the West? I think it was LA. I think okay. it was the LA show he had to walk off. But, um, so, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where you could see, you could tell he was just, he was struggling a little bit, man. He was, wasn't in good health. So he, he took some time off. We heard rumors that it was um, because he, his diet. Yeah. And, and, uh, I heard he had changed his diet, too, well, in the last, like, year. He said, quit drinking the, the rumor much. was, the rumor was, is was he was eating four cans of spam a day <laughs> and and that and this is true shit they said that he's not supposed to have any kind of salt or sodium or sodium yeah and what happened is it made him retain water around his oh, lungs oh yeah yeah so he was having trouble breathing couldn't sing you know so he changed his diet and you know picked back up after like I think he canceled four dates yep um and then uh we picked back up. He was like a brand new dude. He sounded awesome. Really? He was playing awesome. I was like, fuck yeah. This is great. And then it just, you know, it, you, near the end of the tour, you could, you could see him wearing down. You know, it was fucking, you know, I, felt, I felt bad for the guy, but it was like, it's awesome to see someone just literally do it. Yeah. To the end. Like yeah. That. On their own terms. Yeah, killing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like doing fucking... Doing everything he could to fucking... Um, do you remember when you got probably the call to say that, like, do you guys want to be on this tour? Um, well, I think, like, from the beginning, like, even since we were, when we were, um, you know, first getting tours and stuff and tour offers, our booking agent had booked Motorhead, so that was, like, something they always dangled, dangled above you. Yeah, 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 it's like, no, no, we'll get you on a Motorhead tour. And we're <laughs> like, okay, whatever, you know. And we, it was one of those things where we didn't think would really, really you know, come to life, but it, it finally did, and we were like, it couldn't have happened at a better time because that year, you know, we, we did the Motorhead tour, we did two clutch tours, we did yep. fucking Anthrax and Volbeat, oh. we did a fucking Anthrax tour, or some Anthrax one-offs. Um, How we, cool is Scott Ian? It was fucking awesome. <laughs> and you got to see him with Joey Belladonna. Yeah. Oh. Joey Belladonna, man, we had some funny stories about him, like, we called him Uncle Joey, because he, <laughs> he was our buddy, you know? And like, all the guys in my band smoke a lot of pot. And uh, Joey would come to our our green room before we would go out on stage. And great, great room. He would be like, he'd be like, "I'm gonna get you guys so much weed tonight, right?" <laughs> and he would go out on stage, and he would be like, "Where's the fucking weed at?" And he would be like, "Throw that shit on stage," you know, and just do this whole thing. And like, he would come back after, and he'd be like, "Big score tonight, big score." <laughs> and then we. We read this review, I think it was like Metal Hammer. Or something. Okay, it's something like a, over in the UK? It was big, I don't know. It, okay. was, it was a big reviewer, All right. you know? And they were like, Crowbot came out and they were great. 
Anthrax came out and they were awesome. But Joey Belladonna spent a strange amount of time trying to get people to smoke <laughs> weed and throw it on stage. And like we lost our shit we, when we read that because we knew it was for us. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's got to be... How humbling of an experience is it to, to get from the... And I'll tie this back into your tattooing career too because I'm sure this, this parallels even with this. How how much of oh I dropped my earring. How much of a of a like kind of a mind fuck is it to get to a level where not only are you now outside of like your local scene, but now you're making it like on a national and international level to where you're playing with bands who you probably have idolized and or looked up to for decades. Man, it, it's like the first big tour we ever did was with Clutch and the Sword. And Clutch oh, is sword. Well, Clutch is my favorite band of all time. Like mm. to me, they're, they're well. I mean, you guys come from the East Coast, yeah. So, but they're like my Led Zeppelin, you okay. know. And like that first tour, I was speechless when I first met Neil Fallon. You know what I mean? And like, he's so fucking smart. I feel. Yeah, so, I but, would feel so stupid to talk right. to him. <laughs> but I was like, you know, I, I, it, it was just. Oh, I, it gives me fucking chills thinking about it now like <laughs> god damn it I was so stupid I mean, I, but um I mean if you would have told 13 year old me like this is what would happen yeah I wouldn't believe you you know but it's it's all perspective you know things happen you work really hard for years and years and years and years and years things happen slowly and it's just like you're there and you don't even really realize it and it's like holy shit I am doing those things it's, it's pretty amazing and you're at a level where you're doing it as a peer not as a, like, someone who's looked at, like, below, yeah, like, the level that the, the other people are at. Yeah, and it, it's pretty fucking amazing, man. I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm any more qualified than any other band out there or any other guitar player. I just think that I've been lucky enough to have some, some certain opportunities, and it's fucking pretty awesome. You know what I mean? And it's like... Yeah, there's some things that suck about certain things about, you know, we don't make a shitload of money or I'm, I can't have a family or, or a normal life, really, like when it comes to things like that. And, you know, there's a little shit like that, but that's part of it. You can't be like, you can't be like, I want to be a truck driver, but I don't want to drive trucks. Right. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, one of the, I don't want to be a doc. I want to be a doctor, but I don't want to go to school type of shit. You got to fucking, there's, the grass is always greener. Right. You know, no matter what you do. I'm drunk though. <laughs> but that was, that was when I also started following your tattooing career. And it also seemed to be under an upward increase, like upward, yeah, uh, I, you know, I get incline. More, I get more opportunities too, like as, as, how hard is it to balance it, though? Well, I mean, I'm constantly working on tattooing. Um, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the point in tattooing to where I can, like, just stay up on my, my painting, stay up on my drawing, you know, stay up with my hands, you know, keeping my hands where they need to be. Because as long as I can control my hands, I can control my tattooing. How fucking hard is it to tattoo? Especially something that's, like, let's say you're starting to sleep somewhere, like, you're on tour, let's say you're in Atlanta. You're you're starting to sleep from a client who wants to sleep. You get about halfway through between the shading and out, like the outline, the shading, and that's about it. Like you get like a solid like five to six hours and your hand like 
I'd imagine like something vibrating that much, like all I have to go based on is like fucking mowing a lawn. Like, with, yeah. like vibrating. How hard is it to go from like tattooing for like a block of time to then playing guitar? With, like your hands are used to shaking from holding like the fucking machines and shit like that. Well, I mean, for for me, most of my uh, my pain from from playing guitar is in my left hand. Okay. And most of the pain from tattooing so you're is in my hand. Yeah. Okay. And and most of my pain from tattooing is in my right hand. The hand you so, actually tattoo with. I mean, when I'm old, I'm gonna be completely <laughs> fucked. right is like a motherfucker. <laughs> but but it does um, it does help that it's like both are they, they're different. Yeah, and yeah. and the fact that like, you know, I, I do stretch and I, I try to like stay on top of like not getting carpal tunnel because I play guitar a lot and I like um, I started getting some like signs from from carpal tunnel. Do you anything like do you do anything like uh, Kirk Hammond? I know he like wears that like weird like tape bandage no, tape around his like that. one hand. I, I mean, from in the last big, the last tour cycle that we were on, I, uh, I started getting, like, pains that would shoot down my index finger. Okay. On your, uh, my, my for guitar, those who can't see, the, uh, hand. fretting hand. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a big sign for carpal tunnel. Yep. So I got a little, like, uh, weirded out and sort of freaked out about that, but, um, I started doing some more stretching and I, I cut back, like, playing so much during the days and, um, I haven't had that in a while, so that's good. But, uh, you know, for tattooing, man, it, there's a lot of things. Like, w w when I am home and I'm tattooing a lot, um, for my right hand, a lot of times I'll switch to rotaries for some stuff. And okay. it cuts down on the weight of the machine. Okay. Also cuts down on the vibration, which does help a lot, especially if I'm like, you know, if I've got three or four tattoos during the day. I'll do that, and it'll help a whole shitload. What do you think is the more intensive thing to do? Tattooing throughout the day, or playing, like, being in a band, dealing with the mental part of the, the job of being, like, the hurry up and wait of being on tour? You know, I think, For, they're, I think they're both. You I, think they're both? I think, that, you know, you, you can't discredit one or the other, because... Man, you know, tattooing, uh, you know, constantly being stressed out over designs and clients and shit like that has the equal stress of being on the road and everything. I mean, it's, like I said, the grass is always greener, you know? If you're, <laughs> if you're on one side, you want to be on the other, dude. You know, and that's the way it is. And it's, um, you just got to try to find the you know I'm I'm very lucky to be able to just have the joy of both and to not have the burnout because dude I I've been I've been to the fucking cusp of burnout on both, both yeah you know what I mean but I've I've uh, avoided it you know and that's fucking that's you know all you can really hope for since you're working in both mediums between tattooing and being in a professionally signed band, what are the goals or aspirations for both? Like, where do you want to take both? And have you, or are you even there with either one? No, I mean, the thing is, is for me, um, I, I, for both professions, 
the number one thing is to enjoy it. That's no matter what. That's number one. Like, I just want to enjoy tattooing. And I want to enjoy the music that I make. Um, as soon as that's gone, I'll quit. I won't do it anymore. You know what I mean? Because to me, that's that's all I care about. That's, yeah. How much does one affect the other? Um, hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't, they don't direct, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they directly affect each other, or I don't know. When one gets bigger, the other obviously gets bigger. You know what I mean? Like now, yeah. now on the rise, I can see both equally rising, right? B because of of that. But to say if they were to both collapse, you know, then then I don't know. They would be two completely different things. But do you feel like? Both would collapse because, like as you've said a couple times throughout this, like you've said that both are on the rise together because one kind of directly affects the other. Yeah. So because of you being in the band and getting a higher profile, it's allowing you to reach a higher profile with your tattooing because people now know that you do both. Well, if I if I put out a song or an album that people think are shitty, <laughs> I don't think I don't think that they're gonna think my tattooing <laughs> shitty. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I just think they're like that guy's. Decent tattooers, but band sucks. <laughs> Here, as someone, as someone who in the next, I'll say eight hours is about to get tattooed by you. <laughs> how much do you think people get tattooed tattooed by you because of who you who they think you are? A lot, you know. Now, really, you know what I mean. I think I think people, and it's it is it's cool. I, I'm all for that. Like. If I if I could have gotten tattooed by a dude who was in one of my favorite bands, I would have fucking totally done it, you know, and that would be awesome. Yeah. And I think that's so cool that I can like give that give to, that to somebody. I can give that to people because it's not just like you know hanging out with someone at a show at a merch booth. It's <laughs> right. like you know I'm like giving you a tattoo. Yeah, it's a permanent. It's, it's a permanent like, reminder. And I'm like talking to you about music, and we yeah. get to listen to music together and talk about influences. That to me is more important of the exchange than anything because it's like tattooing is half the fun of experience. tattooing someone is the experience, experience yeah. and like and like listening to the music to, with each other and stuff like that, you know. Like, how do you feel as a tattoo artist knowing that, like, I mean, there's one thing being a musician and knowing that you can reach a fuckload of people with your music. Yeah. How does it feel knowing that you're le literally leaving a lasting impression on? Whoever allows you to tattoo you know, them, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't. You know, I would be lying if I say I wasn't somewhat desensitized to that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I've tattooed a shitload of people, man. And you know, a lot of times you don't realize that you're causing people pain. You know, you don't realize that. I mean, you realize it, but you. You don't think about the things. It's this is a like a permanent thing for them. This it, is forever. Yeah, you know what I mean. And you're doing it. It's just <laughs> one of those things where it's such a technical thing. You know, it's such a robotic technical thing for you to be like, these lines are good. This shading is solid. You know, because how much? How much? Uh, sorry to cut you off. How much of a? That's what I'm looking for. How much of a uh, responsibility do you feel? For knowing that potentially you 
you are preventing somebody potentially from getting a job. Well, you you know you take that into to consideration. Definitely, like I won't I won't tattoo anyone under the age of eighteen. You know, regardless if they have someone to to sign for or not. Really, that's something you won't do. That's like your moral standard. No, I, don't, I don't. I don't feel like I need to. You know what I mean? I feel like they can wait. If they don't want to wait, they can go to someone else. You know, and I also feel like if you're unless if you're not heavily tattooed, I'm not gonna tattoo your neck. I'm not gonna tattoo your hands. Job stoppers. You know what I mean? Not even that. It's just like it's a respect thing, man. Like you fucking I've 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 went through a lot of years getting tattooed and mm-hmm. doing shit like that. You know. I don't even have my, my I was going to say, for those who can't see, like, Chris does not have his hands tattooed, does not have his neck tattooed, does have a little bit popping up under his, like, his I've, uh, I've shirt line. everything but my stomach and my right leg. Yeah. And, and my hands and my neck. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's like, when it, I, I've, I've had this happen before, a kid wanted, an 18-year-old kid wanted a crash bandicoot on his hand. <laughs> And, and he's not even old enough to remember when that game came out. Yeah, and it's like getting <laughs> like a cool border. And, and I, told, I told him, I was like, man, I'll put it on your arm anywhere. I said, let's do it. You know, I'll make it look awesome. Yeah. You know, anywhere forearm, else. Anywhere else. Forearm, you know, shoulder. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. Went somewhere else and got it done anyway. Did he come to you and, like, show it off? No, like, I saw it. I think like, I, that's a weird thing people do, too. Yeah, no, I saw it online, you know, and it's just like it was a shit. It was, a, it was done horribly. And I was just like, man, you don't, you fucked, fucked up, up. Your fucking <laughs> hand. You know what I mean? Do you think that that's? Do you think the old way of the tattoo industry of you gotta earn, basically earn your 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 stripes more or less? Do you think that should still apply, or man, do you think it I needs wish, to change? I wish it. I wish it did. You wish I, it still I applied. I wish you could fucking have the most painful spots tattooed first. first. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and like whatever. I, I'm I'm not even anywhere close to being that dude to be able to stand up to for the old school because I'm not that you know I came in in fucking 2010 as so five years six years you know what I mean so it's like I'm not that good I mean the fucking the dudes that I learned from are the dudes that should be saying this but I, you know in their spirit yes <laughs> you know what I mean like I wish I wish that was still a thing how hard is this to turn away clients that want these things, I mean, and then knowing that they're gonna go somewhere, even despite like your best interest, like, that, having the their battle. best interest at heart. You know, that's the battle. It's like, do you do you give them a good tattoo? Do you, do you know because you know you can give them a good solid tattoo? Do you just say fuck it? You're gonna go somewhere else and get it. It's gonna be shittier. Do you yeah. do you do it, or do you just put your foot down? And for me, it's like you need to be told this first. Yeah. You know, this needs to enter your head. And if it enters in the right way, then maybe you'll change your mind. If not, then fuck you, man. You, <laughs> you made the wrong decision. How often have you seen... Have you had this conversation with someone where they disagree and they they want the neck tattoo, hand tattoo, whatever it is that's like kind of like quote-unquote job stoppers, as they're called, and... The person comes to you, you say no, and then they go somewhere else, and then they come back to you and go like, "Can you fix this? Because it's not what I want." I would say that's happened. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe like three times. Not, not really too, too many times. Because the most part, like, 
The people they're doing it. The are... people that are coming in and wanting that shit are covered in tattoos. Okay. And it's like, or it's clients I've worked on. You know, it's like, yeah. Only a few times it's been walk-ins or people that have no tattoos that want these crazy, erratic <laughs> tattoos. And it's mainly because something tragic has happened in their life and they want to do something crazy. You know what I mean? It's just like... Not that I even know that that's what happened. <laughs> in my head, that's what I'm thinking, you know? Two questions based off that, actually. So, having watched a lot of reality tattoo programs, how many people come to you with, like, sad, sob-fucking stories about why they're getting a tattoo? Well, and then kind of unburden their shit onto you while you're doing it? You know, lots of people, you know? Lots of people do that. And I'm... I'm very grateful to to be able to give someone a tattoo that can be somewhat therapy for them. Because I mean, I've been there before, you know. Whereas, like, you know, I've I've been in a breakup or something stupid, and it's made me feel better to get a tattoo, whether I talk to a, to the artist about it or not. But you know, someone's lost their kid or their husband or something, and they fucking would pour their heart out to me. <laughs> if they want to pour their heart out to me and you know I can give them a tattoo that they will remember that person by you know I'm, I'm completely honored to do it even if it is some stupid fucking tattoo that I, I wouldn't you know necessarily want to do in any other circumstance but if they want their fucking initials in a pe each petal of fucking whatever I'll do it you know what I mean it's like I'll, don't get me wrong I'll try to talk them out of it, <laughs> and I'll try to make it as as good as as pretty as I can make it. But if that's what they want, I'll do it for them, dude. I'm not one of those super pretentious dudes when it comes to shit like that. Do everything I can to make it as as uh, nice as I can possibly make it for them, and as long as they're happy, I'll do it. Something else that uh, getting to know you and more of your personal life, um, your girlfriend tattoos as well. Pretty respected tattoo artist, well, tattoo artist from what I have kind of put together through social media. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to to be dating someone that's within the same industry as you, uh, and in the same town and as you? Yeah. Because people, I feel like people are going to compare you regardless yeah. of. Well, I taught. I mean, I taught her a lot how to tattoo in the beginning Wait, you know? was she your was she your she, apprentice no she wasn't she wasn't my apprentice but okay. the the owner of the shop that we work at was her apprentice but I taught her a lot of things you know, <laughs> right? you know like yeah as any you know couple healthy couple would but um so we both we both uh neo traditional you know big heavy colored blenders you know and uh She's been tattooing a little over a year, and I've been tattooing like five, six years, and she's like already at the level I'm at, you know? <laughs> so, but do you think a lot of that is because of like helping her? Yeah, like, absolutely yeah. it is. But, but I've, I'm, I'm so, I think that's awesome. I want her to get better at me at tattooing. Does she offer you different perspectives that maybe you don't see on well, I try, art or whatever? Well, yes. And I try to get to sponge up as much as I can from her, 
but she doesn't like me watching her tattoo. <laughs> she hates when I like watch her tattoo because she gets all self conscious. And I'm like, I'm not like criticizing you. you. I yeah, want to yeah. fucking look, see what you're doing. You yeah. know what I mean? Just in case it's something different. You know? Yeah. And uh, but yeah, there there's always there's always that thing. Even just like you know coming up with designs, throwing designs back and forth to each other is is really awesome. And you learn a lot from that, you know, constantly back and forth. Have you guys collabed on anything yet? <clears throat> Excuse um, me, there's my voice there. Not, not really. Um, Is it something you guys have even talked about doing? Yeah, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we'll in the future. As far the biggest collabs we've had have, have been like, you know, designs, design things for between each other's like yeah, pieces. But, between yeah, like a big tattoo coming up like what do you think about this what would you change and she'd be like oh I'll do this and be like oh yeah you're right and then I'll do that you know what I mean um, which is awesome because it's always you know it's throwing your design to a whole new set of eyes which every time it always comes out better always oh, I gotta piss. <laughs> I gotta hold it. so at this point you guys are getting ready to release your second record as Crowbot uh, I believe it's called Welcome to Fat City. Yep. Uh, I'm blanking on what you call the first single. Not for sale. Not for sale. That's yep. right. Um, from what I've gathered, it looks like you guys went into the machine shop with Machine mm-hmm. uh, over in the East Coast. I want to say New Jersey. He was in New Jersey. He's in Austin now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Last I knew he was in like Hoboken yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... It looked like from Green Neck Carlitos <laughs> posts, you guys went in when you had some time off from the Motorhead tour. Uh, I think it was supposed to be pre-production, but it looks like you actually did actual production on the new record. Yeah. How was that compared to the first record? Because, like, you know, like we talked about earlier, the sophomore slump. It seems like you guys really put in the work and the due diligence to... to not have that fucking happen like where it's like it's a lazy record like anytime you seem to have like you went did pre-production like you had time off you went to the fucking machine shop and did your work we were we were constantly touring and working on this and when we were touring we were constantly writing so we had a lot of material going into it dude like and that that shows you know we cut a lot of songs some some songs we cut that we would have never thought we would have ever cut you know, is this stuff that will be like on? I would assume because, like you said, you had fifty fucking songs. Like, is there going to be like a deluxe edition well, or like a weird album, like B sides type thing? First album we had like fifty songs. This album we had like twenty five. I'd say. God damn, that's still a fuckload of songs. Yeah. So I don't care shit what anyone says. That's I'll, a fuckload of songs. I would say there there will be like, you know, four or five more songs that are that are released. For a deluxe, something for a deluxe, in or, like a happy year, or, or it'll be like we'll play them live, you know, or something like that. You guys definitely seem like you you encapsulate the old mentality of like seventies like rock bands, like where you showcase your material live. You focus on being a live band that can replicate everything in that realm. The fact that you guys put out vinyl so early in your career uh, seems to kind of, again, showcase that you are thinking of... To me, like, 
Like, again, going back to the Wilson dudes, they put out vinyl for, like, the last two records they've done. And I remember... I remember sending a message to Chet, because, like, they were like, oh, we got... We're working on a vinyl for, like, the first record they did. And they had the test press. And I remember texting Chad and go, what's it like to know that you have a test press on vinyl of your fucking music? Like, to me, that would be making it. Because that's an old-school medium to put out your music. And, like, in that regard, there's kind of no mistakes. Like, you have to know that it sounds good. You know that it had, like, it's being mastered to sound the best that it possibly can. Even your sequencing is usually has to be, like, on point because, like, there's a, a like an A side, a B side, potentially a C or a D side. Like, there's a lot of thought that would go into it. And I just feel like bands nowadays don't give a fuck about any of that. So, like, for a band that has, like, a retro sound and a vibe to it, do you guys put a lot of thought into putting out like a vinyl and and the yeah. track sequencing. Yeah, and I think our our fans really you know expect that you know from us too. You know, um, as much as we you know want to admit it, vinyl is a trendy thing now. You know, it's definitely. But it's, seriously, how fucking cool is it to have it, a fucking yeah, vinyl? It's the coolest, dude. I mean, <laughs> it's the, especially for me because I do all the art for the album, so I get to. Oh, make, so you did the artwork for the first. The, first, the one you guys just signed for yeah, me? Yeah, I did that one. I did the, the You're so fucking busy. Yeah, I, mean, I, do, <laughs> I, do, I do all the art for the new album, and it's like... Did you do the one for the single, even? I did all of it, yeah. God damn. I do everything. Are you guys releasing that as a 7-inch or anything? No. no. That's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> you no, did all that yeah. artwork for nothing. Right, for, for just the digital. Just release. the digital. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for, for the new album, like I did... It's a front and back gatefold. So, oh, you're doing a double gatefold. Yeah. Oh. So th- there's so much art that I put into that. Are you doing like even extra shit for like the inner? Uh, the like the inserts. And yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like inserts, but um, you're making me I, moist. Dude, I, put, I put I put like anamorphic images into it to where it's like, uh, you know, if you if you open the album and lay it down, mm-hmm. and you like take a mirrored cylinder or like in the inserts there's going to be like a, a piece of, of mirrored paper uh-huh. if you wrap it around like a, a water bottle okay and put it on the top of the album it'll reflect up the image of the space born killer so uh, I mean that's that's just part of the shit that I really just went into like thinking about that like I hid our faces in like in the inside of it there's a dude that's shitting out money and all the money on the money like there's like our faces like on each of the on the bills on the bills but <laughs> it's been really fucking silent hanging out with you tonight and uh, having you texting my wife and just talking to all of you guys and uh, if anyone's not familiar with this band uh, Chris is from the band Crowbot he played me some shit that he's working on with other musicians and it fucking rips too and he's a hell of a tattoo artist and you know what He's a fucking great dude. Uh, this has been uh, this fucking podcast, whatever it ends up being. Uh, we're going to finish our drinks and uh, go to bed. And thanks for listening, and thank you for your time, man. Cheers. Thanks, man. Have a good time. So that was my chat with Chris Bishop of the band Crowbot, tattoo artist out of Dovetail Tattoos in Austin, Texas. 
I should kind of hurry. Some of that stuff was a little dated. Obviously, I kind of mentioned that in the uh, intro. Really some cool information, though, from Chris about a lot of how he got into music and tattooing and the parallels between the two mediums. Uh, and definitely a lot of drinking that had gone on. Kind of embarrassed about some of that. I definitely edited a lot of the more embarrassing things out of there, which was just me talking uh, way too much. Uh, but that's what you do when you're drunk. But it was a good time, and I definitely want to thank Chris again for taking the time a year ago <laughs> to have a conversation with me when I didn't really have my shit together as much as I, I have done at this point. Uh, who knows, maybe we can do a part two later on uh, down the road. Currently, if you would like to find Crowbot, they are finishing up a tour right now with Royal Thunder. I believe there's a handful of dates left as of when this post is go or when this is being posted. Uh, if you would like to follow Chris Bishop on socials, just do such on Instagram at chrisbishop12. That's C-H-R-I-S-B-I-S-H-O-P and the number 12 uh, on Instagram. And Crowbot, you can pretty much follow across any of the socials under Crowbot, C-R-O-B-O-T. Uh, speaking of socials, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram under Johnson Title Podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Johnson Title Pod, or you can email me at johnsontitlepod at gmail.com. Again, you can go to YouTube as well and see some of these, uh, videos of the video chats that I do with some of these people. Uh, this episode will not be that because I didn't know how to do that back then. So you can find this inner, you can just find this podcast episode as it is on YouTube. If that works easier for you. Uh, again, you can just search YouTube John's untitled podcast. You can find a handful of the episodes up right now. Going to keep this outro pretty short and going to play a song to end the episode as we always do. So we are going to wrap up with a crowbot song, not for sale. It's off their newest album, Welcome to Fat City. So crank it, talk to you next week. (laughs) 